Hey world, welcome back. The podcast, the podcast that will change the world. Um, this is episode 23. Uh, I have some new dates, but I'm just going to give you the website. You can go to rosslivermore.com to see all of my dates and uh, my performances that are upcoming with myself solo. If that my with myself solo and uh, with the band. Um, yeah, so rosslivermore.com. You can also check out the Hey World playlist on Spotify. Um, your Dude Stoked on Instagram. And uh, if you haven't listened to our album that we released in December called This Is Not Forever, uh, listen to that on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere you listen to music. If you're CD people, we have CDs for sale. If you're not CD people, which I highly uh, expect that you're not, um, stream it. Tell a friend. Tell them to stream it. Tell them to tell their friends to stream it as well. Um, and I think that's it for all of my promotional material. Um, it's a big day today. Today marks the uh, beginning of mixing for the new record, which I'll get into a little bit. Um, and there's also some uh, some cool developments that are happening in my life. Um, that I'll get into as well. So here we are. Hey world episode 23. Let's do it. Okay, cool. I just had an issue with my, uh, I had the wrong track enabled to record and I started recording over the intro music, <clears throat> but, um, it's all figured out now we're cruising. We are cruising here with episode 23 of my podcast called Hey World. Thank you guys for tuning into the live feed, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And thank you to everyone who will be listening to this in their car, uh, sometime at a later date. Um, so as I said in the intro, mixing for the new record started today. So as we speak, all the new songs that I've been telling you guys about and playing for you on this podcast are currently being mixed. And for those of you who are not familiar with the mixing process, which I mean, I am really not either, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it, you know, it's basically what it does is you record all the songs and, um, what the mixing engineer's job is to do is to make all of the instruments and the voices sound like it's one cohesive thing. If that's, uh, that could be, that's probably my best explanation for, um, the mixing process and how it's done. I have no goddamn clue. <laughs> I feel like mixing engineers have probably the hardest job in the industry. Any any of the like sound tech crew people, they are really the unsung heroes of our industry and um, mixing engineers especially because uh, they're probably constantly bombarded with comments from musicians like, hey, can you just like turn this up at this time? And hey, can you uh, can just like nitpicky things? And I know I have been that guy in the past. And, um, part of the reason why we're doing the process like we're doing it now, which I'll explain it to you 
is because I know personally that I am a chronic overthinker of, uh, of most things and mixing is a really easy process to overthink. Um, and, uh, it can, that can just like, you can constantly be fixing and tuning and changing and like changing things in the recording that to the regular listener will not affect the song at all for the most part. Um, so we're doing it. Uh, Bobby, who is, uh, our producer engineer for the project is also mixing the project. And, um, I'm really excited because he's really familiar with the songs, with the whole pro with the whole project, with the whole process of how we recorded it. And, uh, he, other than the guys in the band knows these songs inside and out. So he has a really good handle on what we're looking for. Um, so I am really pumped that Bobby is, uh, that all these songs are in the hands of the wonderful Bobby Holland. Um, but yeah, so he has, uh, the way we're doing it, he has two days. He has today, he has tomorrow. He's mixing all 10 songs. Um, we cut, we cut one during the process. We cut another song, um, after the process. So we recorded 11, we recorded 12 cut one during it so we finished 11 after we finished that one we cut another one and there might be one one or two more on the chopping block as well um but he's he's mixed doing all the mixing today and tomorrow and then we're going to give him notes and then we're going to do a final wrap up of the project then it goes off to mastering which if i have no idea what mixing is mastering is uh complete magic and something that I'll just never understand. <laughs> but I guess I think it like brings the songs up to levels, compresses it, makes um everything sound really clear. This is see, I'm a professional musician now. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain mixing and mastering to you people and I have no idea what it is basically. I just like to hire professionals to do that stuff <laughs> because I write the songs, okay? I write the lyrics, I sing them, I don't mix them, or I don't master them. <laughs> That's why we hire professionals. That's why the music industry is a vast industry, because there's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of people <clears throat> that go into making a really great record. And uh, if you can hire people and you can bring people onto your team that you trust and that have a great ear and they're, have their heads on for what the project is... Um, then it's easy. It really is. It makes the whole process way easier than uh than it would be had you just hired people and then you just micromanage everything. Um Stefan Philbrook, there is no autotune. Actually, so what we do, so autotune is a weird thing because for those of you who don't know, autotune is uh an effect. Not an effect, it's like a um it's something you put on your voice to make you sound like you're in tune. Uh, and one of the problems now it's actually used as an effect because, um, I think Kanye might've been one of the first people to do it or that, uh, who's the other rapper? Um, I don't know. What the hell is his name? I want to buy you a drink. I got money. Uh, oh, I'm getting a, a phone call right now that I'm going to decline and call back because I know who that is, um, which I will talk about on the podcast. 
Yeah, well, thanks, Stefan. I try to... I, I think one of the reasons why I've become better as a singer is because... Or as a recording singer is because um, I don't know how to use autotune <laughs> for my own demos. So I'm like, all right, well, if I don't sing it correctly in the demo, it's going to sound bad. So I just need to... Uh, I never, I, I haven't ever really used it on my own demos. So I think because of my inability to uh, be a good engineer, it's forced me to become a better singer. But yeah, so basically we, for the auto-tune, we um, just put like a light tuning on some of the stuff. And then like, if there's a really good take with one word or like a couple syllables or a phrase that is a little out then we'll we'll fix it because it's like the energy of the of the take is there and that's why how i think autotune should really be used it's like um as more of a safety net than like all right well like that whole take was out of tune let's just fix it and make this person who is not able to sing in tune uh let's just make him sound like a good singer so uh that's my autotune rant but I don't really know how to use it well. And uh, so none of the demos that I make ever, um, ever really have it. Tupac? I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if autotune really was invented when Tupac was a rapper. When he was out, when was that? 90s? Like early 90s? I don't, it, it probably was around, but it was like not good. Not really used, uh, I'm going to, I got to find out who this rapper is. Buy you a drink. Rapper. I just put W. <laughs> who the, T-Pain. Oh my God. I'm an idiot. T-Pain. That's who it is. <sighs> Dumbass. Um, yeah. He's the guy. He's the auto-tune guy. He's the one that really, like, turned it into an effect. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, um, yeah. That's the that's the project. I can't wait till you guys hear it. I need a goddamn haircut. I need to go see Josh Don. My hair is just crazy right now. Um, Josh Don from The Lonely Youth. I gotta go see him. Hooks it up with the fresh cuts over at uh, over at Rudy's. Is that no? That's actually not the place. Um, <laughs> man, I am just terrible today. It's next to Rudy's. I'm such an idiot. Rudy's is the jazz place. Anyway, Josh, I love you. Sorry, I didn't give you the proper uh, shout out. Um, anyway, so. Big news. I officially put in my notice at Zany's Comedy Club. It's a sad day. And I worked there for about a year and a half. And when I started, um, when I started, uh, Chris Miller, who I think might be tuning into the Instagram feed right now. He's a good friend of mine here. He's one of my first friends. I met him working for the event company. He became the manager. I needed a job. Chris gave me a job and um, worked there for a bit. And uh, it's one of those places where you're just there all the time. And I think it, although I like, I love it. 
it's a great job. I need to be uh, playing more. So I've picked up a couple more hotel gigs. And as of October 1st, I'll be official full-time music, 100% supporting myself, which has been a long time coming. Um, and it's a hard thing. I feel like I could have probably done it similarly back home if I was doing cover gigs, but it just didn't feel like something I should be doing. And I don't know, this whole tour that I did with the Flying Buffaloes, which I talked about, I think, a couple uh, a couple episodes ago, it really changed my whole perspective on being a professional musician, especially in Nashville, because, you know, for the longest time, I've had this, like, thought on what Broadway was. And for those of you who are listening and you don't know what Broadway is, it's basically a street with a bunch of bars, bands playing from 10 o'clock a.m. to 2 a.m. the next day, just music nonstop. And they play down there and just like, they kill it. And when we did the tour, people were coming to see them in every city we went to that had seen them in Broadway. And they really use it as a tool to like make money, to become a better band, to build a fan base. And um, I really was inspired by that. So when I got back, I said, I'm going to work one more month at Zany's, stick it out for September, catch up on some bills. And... um and at the beginning of October, which marks my three-year anniversary of being in Nashville, uh, I'm going to leave and uh, not get a job, which is crazy um, to think. Full-time musician. I was actually talking to my dad about this, and it was like, man, you know, I'm 34, and I, I feel like I maybe could have done it earlier, and he was just like, you know, People are ready at different points of their life to take a leap. And I mean, I, I already kind of did um, with moving to Nashville, but it was like, I, I don't know. I've always known how to make money working a service industry job and um, do music as as a passion and as a career path, but like never really just said, I'm not going to have a job anymore. And music is the way. Um, but now it's time. It feels like it's time for me to do that. Um, and I have a catalog of songs I can play. That's why I'm really excited that I moved here um, later in my life. You know? Because it's, it's easier to sift through the bullshit. And it's easier to kind of like hit the ground running with the knowledge that I already built from years of doing it uh, up in New England. So it's a really exciting time. Um, it'll be sad to not work at Zany's anymore. It'll be sad to uh, not be able to see um, comedy regularly, but I'm actually really excited because now I can just go to the club and see shows and not worry about like, you know, people getting pissed that there wasn't buffalo sauce in the chicken fingers and, and taking out the trash and sweeping up gum off the floor and stuff. It'll be, I can finally enjoy the place. Um, but with that said, Theo Vaughn was here this past weekend and he did, uh, what is it? Five shows. If you guys haven't seen Theo Vaughn, listen to his podcast. I don't know what it's called. But just look up Theo Vaughn podcast. Um, 
he, I have never worked a show for a comedian who has done the same show four or five times in a row and laughed at the same jokes. His delivery was incredible. Such a nice guy. Um, don't sleep on Theo Vaughn. He is a master. So funny. I'm not going to give away any of the stuff he said or his, his jokes, but like, man, Theo Vaughn is, is hilarious and check out his podcast. Um, I also had a, a recent opportunity to go see Bernhoft. I don't know if you guys have seen or heard of Bernhoft, Jarle Bernhoft. He's a soul singer from Norway. I think maybe Oslo, but I mean, that's the only city I know there anyway. So it's just a guess. <laughs> My mom's tuning in by the way. Hey mom. Um, so yeah, so basically Trevor Larkin, who's a good friend of mine, plays in Alan Stone's band, um, was going to see Bernhoft in Cincinnati, which from Nashville is about a four hour drive. <clears throat> and he, uh, mentioned he was going and I was like, Hey, I'm a total fanboy. Can I join? So I kind of invited myself, but, uh, Joe Hunt's in the house. What up, dude? Um, so I kind of invited myself and tagged along cause I'm a huge Bernhoff fan. And, uh, Trevor does his podcast called Trevor talks and listens. He was going to go and do like a, a mobile podcast with Bernhoff. Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of geeking out because he's like, an, he's a, I'm a big fan of his music. I have been for years. Um, so we drove up to Cincinnati and it turns out that, so the, the show was on a Thursday night. It was a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, there was a Thursday night football game between the Bengals and uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So his draw was either affected by that or Cincinnati is just a weird place to play. I've never really had any luck there, but I'm also not as I'm not a Grammy nominated guy like Bernhoft is. Um, but there, so there was probably like 50 or 75 people in a like 750 cap room. And it was like really awesome to watch the show and to see them perform. But man, one of the things that I found most inspiring about going to the show and meeting Bernhoft and his band and his road crew and his, his tour manager, I don't know if you've seen Wayne's World 2. Oh, Phil the Cheese is in the house. Hey, dude. Um, I don't know if you've seen Wayne's World 2, but... Bernhoff's tour manager was the roadie from Wayne's World 2. You know what I mean? That like old, uh, the British guy, the guy that's like, you know, has pictures with Jimi Hendrix and Zeppelin and all that stuff. He was that guy, like to the T. Um, but their band, his band was just great. And one of the things that was most inspiring by it was, uh, you know, I've like, as an artist at my level, you know, you open for people and you see a lot of people that are on similar levels and they just treat, they don't know how to treat artists or people who are just the opening act. Um, and I went in with Trevor and Bernhoft and his band was so accommodating and so nice to me as like a guy who's just like a random friend, like nobody to these people. Um, to see how accommodating they were to me, especially, uh, was like, man, you don't have to be nice to me at all. You know what I mean? Like you have a Grammy nomination and you tour all over Europe and sell thousands of tickets and you're an amazing singer and musician and I'm just a dude. 
Um, but Yarley and his crew were like, were just, I don't know. I was, I'm just, I was just amazed at how professional and how nice they were um, and accommodating because I've opened for artists and they're just like, they're kind of like whatever about you. If, if you're not in their crew, they can't be bothered. Um, and that happens more often than not. So shout out to Bernhoft, shout out to the band um, and Ryan Baird-Rost, who is Alan Stone's tour manager in front of house. He was running front of house for Bernhoft and the show was incredible. Um, just amazing songs, great band, the way that they did their, uh, you know, after, after the show's over bands, um, you know, they'll do their like bow and they came out after they did the encore, um, to what is that song? The, um, Van Halen does a cover it calling out around the world. Are you ready for a brand new beat? Whatever. And, uh, they did like a dance, a, a synchronized dance routine. <laughs> just awesome. It was like, it was just inspiring because like, Watching them play reminds me a lot of like playing with Phil and Paul because these are guys that just have been friends since they started playing music together. They were in a uh, a pretty well-established rock band called Span and then uh, Bernhoff kind of did his own like soul project and then it all kind of just like reunited dancing in the streets. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything today. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, what was I just saying? I just got so excited because I, Stefan mentioned the title of the song that I was trying to think of. Um, but yeah, they had the, it, it was just like such a celebration of like friendship and music. Um, and just to watch that was so inspiring because like with Paul and Phil and when we play together, it is, it feels like that, you know, it is that. Um, and that's the point, you know? That's the point of playing, and that's the thing that I love most about being in a band. Um, it's just the like camaraderie, like long-standing camaraderie about the whole thing. Because most of the stuff, most of the situations um, that you get yourself into, especially when you're traveling, are are super weird. You know what I mean? Like this, everything is so random. And the way that you get gigs and the way that things kind of like come together, um, you know, it's really easy to get discouraged. So if you have, uh, it, it's, it's when you have the camaraderie of the guys that are your guys and you've been through a lot of shit together, um, the sky's the limit. It's like you're, you know, you're on, you're unbreakable. Um, that song was written by Marvin Gaye. Dancing in the streets? I had no idea. See, that's why I do this podcast, people, because it's a learning experience for me as well. Um, I was actually supposed to do... So one of, one of the things I've been trying to do is like schedule my day um, with like practice because I feel like if I don't schedule things in, they won't get done. Exactly. Bowie and Jagger, they're buds. Um yeah, I feel like I just won't get things done. So I started scheduling my day, but randomly off the cuff, I uh, decided like an hour ago that I needed to like revamp all of my records. So I don't have like an extensive record collection, 
you know, I probably have like a hundred, maybe 150, which isn't like a ton, but it isn't a small amount either. But like you go to these record shops and there's always like the free section. So I'm like, oh, sure. I'll get this whole Nat King Cole, like discography collection or this whole, like before I moved to Nashville, I remember I got like the Nashville collection of like 100 Nashville hit songs that I obviously just like never listened to and like random shit like Al Jarreau. Um, and like, I don't even know, like nineties vinyl from Al Green, just like the stuff that no one, even Al Green fans haven't even heard. So my guy should really, I should really, uh, get rid of a lot of this stuff. So I think I got rid of probably like 30 things in my collection that I've never listened to. I think that was really like, if I haven't listened to it by this point, I don't really need it. So I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with it. Cause I don't think most people need it or want it. So like, I don't know, do I bring it to a secondhand store and just be like, take it. Or I hate the idea of just like throwing all of those vinyls into the dumpster. So I don't know what to do. I kind of just wanted to make room on the on the shelf for for my Harry Potter books, though. <laughs> just to prove that I read them. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, no. And <laughs> you know, is like as a little conversational piece if we ever have a uh if we ever have a um a house party at 736 Vernon. Um Cabbage Patch Kids. I have Krista says I have Cabbage Patch Kids somewhere. Well, like a like a Cabbage Patch Kids vinyl. Um that's a good idea. Give it to art school kids and they'll make something with it. Especially the Nat King Cole. That's Laura Glida. Um coming in with the the only good idea. Um <laughs> why would you have a Cabbage Patch Kids vinyl? not sure <laughs> one of those one of the records that i have that i can't actually bring myself to throw away is the john denver muppets christmas record which er i feel like every single time i go to a record store it's in the free section that record and if you go there and you see it like holler at me because i know and for some reason there's a ton of jackson brown in the uh man I look like shit right now. <laughs> um, there's always a ton of Jackson Brown in the free section too, which I don't really know why, but I took advantage of it. Yeah, but this John Denver um, Muppets record is always in the free section. Um, there was a band back in the day that we used to play with called Captain Cutthroat and um Phil the lead singer I'm looking up this DVD that he always it was always in there was a DVD and it was what uh what the hell is bedazzled I think it was bedazzled uh I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. <laughs> With Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley, who was a total babe back in the day. 
But he was like, every time I go to Walmart, Bedazzled's in the in the free DVD or the one dollar DVD section. It's the same thing as that John Denver Muppets record. Um. So yeah, I got all these vinyls that I'm getting rid of, and uh, I really just did it to make room for the Harry Potter series, which I'm on book six right now. And man, I feel like this is gonna be my favorite. I don't know if there's any Harry Potter fans watching or listening, but um, this the last book was good. It was like 870 pages or something like that. So like I was, it was great. It was a good one, but I was like in and out a lot on it. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's one that I could read a second time um, just so I don't miss as much stuff. It is my first time. I've actually never seen the movies or have read the book. So this is all like brand new to me. Um, but like right off the bat six, I'm just like in it. Um, cause I guess the ending of, of order of Phoenix was like pretty heavy, uh, with, without any spoilers, but it really, uh, sets the tone. The ending of five really sets the tone for six. Um, yes, we will, Laura, we will have to geek out because I, try to talk about it at my house and Emma just thinks I'm a total loser. She's like, my 34-year-old boyfriend is reading Harry Potter. I'm like, damn right I'm reading Harry Potter. It's the the hero's journey is my friend Joe Hunt who might still be tuning in. The hero's journey. Um, it's great. It's a great story. But you know, she's a math teacher and I am more of a... She liked taking tests in high school and I liked writing papers, you know? There's like those people, there's the people who are good test takers, and then there's the people who like are able to bullshit better, <laughs> and that's just me. That's why I liked writing papers, because I was, have you ever like read any of your old like college or high school papers or essays? I found, I remember when I moved here, I found a couple, and I read them, I'm just like, did I really write this? Because like... If I did, which I, I mean, they had my name on it. So I did. I was like, man, I was a total bullshit artist. I don't even know how I got through college <laughs> reading some of these papers. I don't know. Oh, man. The Philbrooks are anti-Potter fans. Oh, no. That's all right. I get it. I totally understand it. It is, And it does create more time for music because these books are goddamn long um but i still love the phil brooks either way um trying to think what else i got going on oh i did get a uh back to the professional music thing i have my first broadway gig actually that i'm starting next month which i'm like super pumped about um what does that say called danvers high wondering where my 20 page research i've never written a 20 page paper i think i just wasn't in the ap classes well i know i wasn't but i think that's why i didn't write long papers because you know my classes that i was in was like if you can get through a three-page paper you'll be fine <laughs> i was in those classes the like three to five page paper classes not the like 20 to 30 research paper, 20 to 30 page research paper classes, AP classes. Um, yeah, that was, that was me. 
Oh, DJ Tone in the house. I would, Tone, I was just saying that I was going through my record collection and I have two Teddy Pendergrass records. Um, that and those made the cut. Obviously, they made the cut. <laughs> I get that pink one. You know the pink Teddy Pendergrass record where it's like the perfect shade of pink and it's the same shade as his lips. <laughs> just like the most sexual like record cover ever. Just like lying on his back. <laughs> and then there's another one with pretty much the same record cover, but it's black and white. Um, oh yeah. It's just like supple. <laughs> Teddy Pendergrass, the most sexual man in R&B music. <laughs> also, dig this shirt. This is this shirt is my Stevie Wonder uh, concert tee right here. It actually, if you're tuning into the uh, the Instagram or Facebook, there's actually Braille on the shirt. And let me show you the back of it real quick. All of the tour dates on this shirt are in Braille. <laughs> this shirt is like, it's a legendary. I saw, I, I think he did his first tour in like 20 years. Um, when was it? It was like 2006 or something like that. It was called the Midsummer Night's Dream Tour. And it was just an evening with Stevie Wonder. Easily still the best concert I've ever been to. Um, but this shirt is from that. Um, yeah, I think... That might be it. Where, where are we at for time here? I don't even know. Oh, Michael Kite watching on Facebook. What up, dude? The So Michael Kite is a good friend of mine, co-writer. We uh, wrote a couple songs on the new record, and they're getting mixed right now. Um, he actually did some additional engineering. If you are tuning in, uh, listen to his new single that he released a couple weeks ago. Actually, it might be like a month now. Um, yeah, look up Michael Kite. Clear. It is the shit. Uh, actually, I might throw it back on the old uh, Hey World playlist. And uh, yeah, well, I think that's good for this podcast. Let me uh, figure this out. Well, cool. Yeah, I think that's good for this podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Facebook and Instagram Live. Um. If you're interested, check out the Hey World playlist on Spotify. I update that weekly with new music for my friends and the other artists that I'm into. Check out Your Dude Stoked on Instagram for information about uh, the Dude Stoked brand. This is not forever on Spotify. Keep listening. Keep sharing it. Um, and RossLivermore.com for all of my upcoming performances. And um, information about me and the band and all sorts of stuff with the new record. Um, it's all exciting stuff. So cool. Here we are. Well, we are here. It is over now. Uh, thank you guys who spent who have spent the last half an hour listening to me talk about my record collection and Teddy Pendergrass's supple lips. <laughs> cool. Hey World episode 23. Signing off. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.